Welcome to the Telling of Story podcast. I'm your host, Storyteller Jules, and along with my guests, it's my endeavour to explore the art and science of storytelling to attract, engage, and retain a business audience, and to unpack why it works for some and not for the many that try. This week, I have the pleasure of talking with Kate Barker. Listen in as she answers the question, how do you go from expert in your field to world-renowned speaker talking on stages all over the world? It's really about putting yourself out there, taking risks, uh, seeking out the challenges and the opportunities that may rattle your cage both personally and professionally. Kate Barker is a globally recognised Chief HR Leader, Future of Work Expert and an awarded authority in talent management, leadership development and people and technology advancements. Kate's career spans three decades working with clients such as Microsoft, Virgin, Deloitte and Google, just to name a few. Kate has been a regular feature on Future of Work, a keynote speaker and publishes on topics on digital technology disruption, innovative talent strategies, inclusive cultures and workforce transformations at HR summits and executive roundtable globally. Kate was invited to attend Harvard's Women's in Leadership program and recently commenced her PhD in Women in Leadership at UCL. Kate is both a dynamic, engaging speaker and insightful expert advisor and a proud champion for diversity and inclusion. And if that wasn't enough, Kate is a seven-time marathoner who loves to cook, dance and sing, despite her self-confessed complete lack of talent at all three. Kate, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jules. Good to see you again. Nice to see you. Now, Kate, You've got an incredible uh, bio and a rich history in your background, but I just wanted to start with, for, for myself and for the audience, what is a future of work expert? I work with organisations and governments globally around the world, consulting them with them on how to create an organisation that's prepared for the future of work. And we look at things like policies and procedures, we look at how the organisational culture is adapting. We certainly look at work and workplaces and how work is done. As we look at organisations that have adopted digital transformation and now what does this look like in terms of how we need to live and work. So there's been some really exciting transformations that organisations have gone through and I help advise them around what are some leading practices in this place and some areas to be mindful of to make sure they remain quite competitive and navigate some of the risks. So does that include creating a strategy? If, you know, how far in the future would you be looking at when you're working with these organisations? Is this something that's sort of an on, you know, work in progress that we're always thinking about you know, this year, next year, or is it more about what does the next five years, 10 years, 15 years look like? Typically, I look at around two to three years, no more. And we know because the industry work is changing so rapidly. If we've got a good view around two, maximum three years. I know in the past we'd often have conversations around five and ten year strategies. But what we've seen typically too from the last two years is that things have significantly shifted far faster than we'd ever expected. 
So, you know, a two to three strategy, and we typically talk about reviewing that regularly. And that could be every month and every quarter going back to review and assess. So we look at running more pilot type programs, reviewing, getting the data, amending and going back out and doing it again. So you mentioned the last two years and obviously we're sort of two years into the the lovely COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, how has that dramatically changed, you know, the way we do work? Because obviously there's been a hell of a lot of, you know, work from home type situations and, you know, clearly that has accelerated things like the ability to use Zoom in, you know, and other platforms in, in almost every situation where it's traditionally been face-to-face, what else have you seen or what have you experienced over that period and what has accelerated a little more than you possibly thought was possible? Yeah, it's interesting. We certainly saw in 2020 the mad scramble, as you say, to Zoom. And we saw a lot of organisations that hadn't started the digital transformation journey get on board with that pretty quickly. And then we saw those organisations that had started to ramp up their efforts So 2020 was really that scramble around getting our digital transformations launched or evolved much faster to accommodate this workforce that was now primarily locked down at home, working from home. In terms of that, we also saw in 2020 some working from home policies come out and obviously some COVID principles across organisations. But we were all really a deer in the headlight. This is all quite new. In 2021, we saw organisations start to now think about what do they need to do to start to create some flexibility and agility in their organisations regarding their workforce. We saw some organisations straight go to streamlining and back down to redundancies and laying off staff. And we saw other organisations ramp up their activities, creating work from home policies as, as standard. In 2021, we saw this whole debate regarding do we work from home or do we work from the office? And we saw that rolling on for what was a good six to 12 months as organisations implemented the policy and then took it away and then implemented as new variations of the COVID came through. But what, what I'm seeing, what we need to start to focus on is no longer actually thinking about working in the moment. We actually need to think about completely looking at this in a different lens to say, as well, what do we want to be known for and how do we create an employee value proposition that's more compelling than oscillating between hybrid working or not? And what we're seeing now is organisations that are being quite innovative in this space, starting to create new ideas radically shifting away from how work was done in the past to completely new ways of working. Um, And that really excites me. And I tell you, it excites me really, Jules, from the reason is that we've been working in a space for as long as I know, and I've been in this world now in a professional capacity for three decades, that has really created privilege for a very few And that has really been around, we want you to commute to a workplace, we're going to put you in an office, we want you head down with a manager overseeing your work, and then we're going to let you go and leave the office at the end of the day and commute all the way home. Now, that works well for people who live in major cities, people that are able to get to and from the office quite easily with access and transport, and it it relies well on people being able to sit for long periods of time in a controlled environment. Now, that is a very small part of the population. 
the idea that we can now move into the future work and why I'm so passionate about it is that we get to be able to open up the workforce to all those people who have missed out on those opportunities. And we're talking about people from right around the world that doesn't need to come into a head office to work. Those perhaps that are managing disabilities that can't come into the office. And those people that perhaps, perhaps like to work in different ways of working, that like the freedom and the creativity about how they do their jobs. So we're opening up opportunities now for a much larger workforce to participate in actually being able to give back to society, to their organisations, to their own families. And I think I'm passionate about seeing what great ideas, what inspiration, what new ways of learning that section of the population that's missed out for so many years gets to contribute. I'm a massive advocate from working from home. I've been doing it for the last decade. And I think, you know, I'm, maybe I'm an you know, early adopter perhaps. Um, but with that, as you described, that has allowed me personally to do work all over the globe, you know, for various companies everywhere because it doesn't matter where I am because obviously it's about, you know, from at a consulting level, it's really all about, uh, you know, producing something and, and having an outcome. So if you're able to commit to those outcomes in a, you know, in a time period that's satisfactory, who cares where you do it from? Who cares what time you do it at, whether you want to do it at midnight or whether you, you want to do it on a weekend is up to entirely up to you as long as the output is right. So all of that super excites me. And I love what you've just said there where it allows people from all walks of life doesn't matter where they are, um, doesn't, uh, doesn't negate them from being part of the conversation, which is awesome. What I don't quite understand how we're going to um, address or this area to be addressed is how does it shift the cultural element of the working in the office environment? You know, when you do go into, into an office and you meet people face-to-face, it's a very different experience and it builds a quite a tight, or it can build quite a tight culture around the people. Because as we know, companies are really about the people and not about the company brand itself, right? How are we looking at, or how are you addressing the idea of the cultural shift when it comes to building, you know, culture within a company? Yeah, look, it's really important, and that social connectivity that we have with our workforce, our employees, is really key. The way we address this is through leadership development. Leaders have typically been able to lead with physical bodies in front of them. They've been typically able to communicate, convey their message, and being able to lead in an environment where they're demonstrating or role modelling a lot of the behaviours. And a lot of these behaviours are usually more subtle that our people pick up. What we're teaching our leaders is to be more uh, flex more agile in their own style of leadership. So this may mean is that you may need to develop your your leaders in ways that can can communicate with those who prefer to work from home, who those that are quite happy to work from a screen and given a deadline and like a high degree of autonomy. Leave them alone, let them do what they want, empower them. This is how they work. You may also have someone who wants to be close to you, who wants the attention, who needs monitoring, likes the mentoring of their work and likes someone to be in part of their team. They may also have someone that works globally in a different language and there's language barriers or country barriers or time differences. We're asking now leaders to really step up and what skills do they need to lead in a myriad of different types of employees of how they like to work. 
Now, that is mind-blowing, mind-blowing in many ways. You know, how do they just in the moment, on the moment, all day to say, actually, if I've got a team of typically, say, 12 to 15 is the ideal size of a direct report team, how do I manage that group? And then how do I bring them all together at one point? Because we do need to come together as a team. So then those skills need to be actually built down into the team to say, how does the team need to come together collectively and start to look at as peers, how do we work in that space? And that becomes equally important. Now, these skills, and we talk about, you know, EQ skills, we talk about the ability to manage flexibility, agility in the team, communication skills, all wrapped up in a setting where we're also looking at leaders' own well-being because we know they're going through this personal experience themselves. We are all human. And often we point to our leaders as being the problem, but the leaders themselves are going through these situations themselves. So how do we actually get them around how they need to do this while also looking after their own well-being? So some of this is about developing those leaders to better manage up as well. It's I think it's one of those, you know, it's an evolving environment, right? We're all learning as we go. And I think it'll be super interesting to see what the next two to two to five years looks like now that we've had this accelerated, you know, reason to to go forward much quicker than we ever mm. could. I mean, the technology itself has been around for a long time. the The decision to do, you know, to use that technology in this way was always held back for whatever reason. You know, there's probably a myriad of reasons why we'd never got, never quite got there in the past. But I'm super excited about where it's heading and what it might look like. And you know, with technology too, I think because of the the accelerated use of the technology, I think that's also going to accelerate the innovation in the technology as well. So what we're using today, you know, this two-dimensional sort of Zoom environment in two to five years' time might be a lot more three-dimensional perhaps, um, which, you know, again, changes the experience and brings people closer together. I do love what you said there about the leaders having to adapt per person I guess to you know be flexible and understand each individual as an individual and it's not a sort of one size fits all and I can imagine that would be quite stressful and quite challenging for a lot of people so it'd be interesting again to see how leaders step up into that sort of space and and the other side of that coin is you know potentially it takes it from being a nine to five kind of leadership role to potentially being a all hours leadership role um, with the flexibility for the leader themselves built in to their environments and their times time frames, so it should be, it'll be in a really interesting space. I'm super excited. And, and what I love about that space more is that because we are now having work at home, we're going into people's living rooms, so we're starting to see people's background stories around their life. So instead of having that water cooler situation at work where we'd ask them how their families, we can actually peer into their lives and actually see what's going on behind the scenes. And it brings to mind that great um, uh, situation that only happened a few months ago with Jacinta Ardern doing a, a video call globally across New Zealand and she's got here a two-year-old calling out mummy because the two-year-old's meant to be in bed and here she is thinking she's got a quiet time after bedtime stories that she can now get online and have this global call. Um, so I think what it tells us, though, and what's really key is that 
we have a greater understanding for the whole of the person and that it's not just this minute part that we bring to work, which is very important and very critical to what we do to feel utilised. But we're bringing the whole person and that background story, which includes kids and families and the elderly and living circumstances that change. And I think that makes our conversations and our relationships even richer. And I think that's the important part, if not the silver lining for COVID. I love that because you're right. Working in an office, you put on a suit, you you turn up at nine o'clock or whatever time and you put this work facade on and that's who you are, right? And, you know, sometimes you don't know much about their personal lives at all. You have a great, you might have a great relationship in the office, but you really don't know too much about them other than, you know, maybe their partner's name and and that's about as far as it goes, right? So that's super exciting And, and you're right, that would only enrich a relationship so that's the definitely a positive in the um in the cultural element too isn't it yeah absolutely absolutely just changing tact a little bit so how do you go from you know hr person um you know 20 odd years ago to hr expert what's that journey look like and sound like and what you know what did it entail for you yeah look it's a really great Great question. And I've been working in HR leadership roles across Australia for some time and was really looking at how do I work closely with the organisation and the leaders to really create sustainable at that stage a lot of practices and processes across organisations, driving performance, maintaining engagement, reducing attrition levels, very structured around KPIs. But what I found more and more were two things. And the first one is that the leaders were really struggling around what they were required to do as leaders. Um, And there was really no handbook for them for how to manage or navigate some of the challenging times that these organisations were also experiencing. And two, that some of these practices and processes, while important, were rigorous and overly structured that only accommodated a few And they really lacked the grey shade of the conversation that we engage with people that really makes most of these conversations important. So what I really got to the stage then is working in more around leadership development, which is a a course I went through with um, PwC and developing partners globally for PwC, which was a phenomenal experience. Um, Even down to the stage of setting up my executive coaching and leadership development business out of Australia, from what was then is throwing myself in the deep end of my one-bedroom Bronte apartment and going for it, um, setting up a multi-million dollar executive coaching leadership development business around the world. And my first client happened to be Virgin Richard Branson, which you ever thought you're going to jump off the pier and go for it. That was certainly going to be my case, um, which was phenomenal. But I really got into the space of going, actually, instead of rolling out repeated what they say is world-class practices about HR that are fundamentally not shifting attrition levels, are fundamentally not really moving engagement levels, and are fundamentally really not addressing the diversity issue, what do we need to do differently? Well, we had all this technology coming through, there was a, a, a lean towards how do we implement the technology? A lot of the focus then at that stage was around what is this silver bullet that's going to solve all our problems? And a lot of excitement around this fantastic technology 
but really wasn't integrated with HR at that point and really wasn't actually paced around, well, what is it in an organisation that we want to create? So instead of a lot of these outdated HR policies and practices and the new shiny bullet of technology, how could we bring those two together under the lens of, well, what do we want to redesign our organisation to do? That coupled with and a parallel process going on is the rise of the tech organisations and fundamentally reshifting regarding how we're going to work and what we're going to do. So the wealth had been moved away from what is typically oil and gas industries more into tech. So how we created wealth in an organisation was going to be moving very differently. Coupled with a rising millennial workforce, and I've never seen anything like it like I have in Asia These guys are hungry to learn, are all over it, are the first to raise their hand and ask numerous questions to get ahead of the game. They are passionate, enthusiastic and en masse. So these these future leaders and what we're certainly seeing as millennial CEOs coming through the pipeline now will be the next wave of how we're going to work and what we're going to do. Coupled with the millennial workforce, We then see areas around the rise of how we want to use technology. So the way that we use technology in our personal lives and how we consume that, right, is usually through our iPhones on an app and we have delivery services here in the UAE. Anything particularly can be delivered within an hour. Um, And we like to engage and use that as a consumer. Then we get into a work environment and we find that we're given outdated iPhones or laptops or things that don't particularly work and go, well, how am I meant to do a great job when this is so difficult for me to work? So we're paying people well, but not really giving them the tools they needed to do it. So I came into a space of going, well, how can we make this make more sense? And if this is the opportunity for me to radically change and help organisations shift to how we can make work one more enjoyable, more, more inclusive and more productive well, we've got to be heading to something good. So that lead into, you know, becoming an expert, I'm always curious, you know, kind of chicken and egg kind of question Mm -hmm. is, do you make the conscious decision to become an expert and then therefore go looking for speaking opportunities? Or do you subconsciously, you know, you're an expert in your field and therefore doing a great job and then, you you know, that in turn attracts people who say, hey, would you like to come and speak to, you know, in front of our organisation? So was it conscious or was, did it just happen by default? I think it's actually a nature of my personality. I'm inherently curious and I love experiences. So my career has really been around developing myself, my experience and my learning to constantly learn around what's going to be the growth or the area that I want to develop. So going in and working for some of the tech firms has developed my own technology skills. So much so is that when I started working with clients and one of my superpowers is my client relationship skills, is I start to be able to relate to those clients to understand, well, what is the problem they're trying to address and how can we find solutions around it? And so being a trusted confidant using my executive coaching skills in this space, really being able to consult with clients around what do we need to be doing in this area, building those relationships, spending time with people, solving their most challenging problems in a trusted, confident space really gave me a network of contacts and relationships with people globally. 
And that was really what I value and enjoy what I do the most. And based on that, it was an opportunity where I was approached by one of my clients, funnily enough, out of Australia, who asked me to go, would you be interested in doing some work for us in Newham in Saudi Arabia? Of course, Kate's always open to experiences. What better than a woman that's passionate around, passionate around leadership development, loves consulting and loves the biggest mega project that you're going to find globally, which is a $500 billion futuristic city in the middle of Saudi Arabia. Um, looking at putting together a team, of course, this would be amazing. When it came down to and further conversations with a client, what they were looking for was really someone as an expert that they can consult with, someone that they could have those quiet conversations to go, well, where do we need to go and can you advise us on what we need to do? So this is an opportunity where I packed up what was 90 kilos of luggage, if you can imagine me coming from Singapore to Saudi Arabia with bags and bags of luggage on a Singapore Airlines flight, ready to hit the Middle East in an area that I'd never worked before, in a country that was restricted by visas. Uh, women working was unheard of in the space and the capacity that I was in, uh, ready to take on this new project, advising essentially the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia and the executive new one. Green-eyed completely. It was frightening in all sense, but also exhilarating. I arrived uh, with a an abaya that I had borrowed from one of the leadership team that sent to me, uh, ready to check into a hotel. And of course, if you've been to Saudi airport, you I arrive, I have blue eyes, blonde hair, long blonde hair. Um, so I stand out and amongst uh, a sea of black abayas and a Middle Eastern culture. So that was certainly exciting. So putting myself into extreme circumstances, I think, to learning and evolve and adapt is really key for the sake of taking on new exciting challenges while being able to draw on my expertise as a consultant in this space, I think, has been really rewarding. So it's really about putting yourself out there, taking risks, uh, seeking out the challenges and the opportunities that may rattle your cage both personally and professionally. So what I'm hearing there is go that little step or step or two further than perhaps you're comfortable with, but with a background and a conviction of you know self, knowing that you've got to where you are because of your experiences, because of the situations you've put yourself in the past, and all you're really doing is layering those experiences on top of each other and by pushing those boundaries, it opens up those opportunities that perhaps you wouldn't have come across or you wouldn't have been made available to should you uh, have you know, stood back and perhaps waited for those to, to come to you. Yeah, exactly. And I carry with a mindset around um, an experience, carry it as an experience and a life well-lived full of life experiences um, and that's when I'll know I'll be satisfied. So continue to seek out those experiences and to challenge your own level of ability, I think, in many ways, um, while holding a, self, a high degree of self-efficacy. But, yeah, I mean, a, a, an incredible experience being certainly in that environment. So you're a advocate for women in leadership and obviously, you know, putting a lot of effort in both your personal side but at an industry level as well. 
what advice would you get give to you know young women perhaps that are coming up through the ranks that you know look at you and think wow that's just a little maybe that's a little bit too far out of my comfort zone or how do I get into a position like you given that you know you've put yourself perhaps in one of the most difficult women in leadership positions in the regard that you've just you know described in Saudi you know what kind of advice would you give to somebody listening to this going I'd love to do it but I'm you know I'm scared to hell I'd do it anyway step off the edge Trust your judgment and degree of self-efficacy and go for it. What I would certainly say is you don't get the experience, and I use this analogy, you don't get better at yoga unless you're on the yoga mat. So you're not going to improve until you're actually doing it. So get out there and try. I um, I, I certainly keep a high level of sense of self-awareness. I check my environment and I check feedback and emotional cues from others that I'm around And that will give you feedback in the moment of what you may need to change or adjust. Um, And that is a great way from an intentional learning capacity that we need to focus on. But go for it. Absolutely go for it. It's interesting. And I want to share with that is that I, and I keep this under the radar. I don't often share this. In fact, I've only spoken about this twice. I personally mentor six young women. And I say six young women, they're typically in their 20s and 30s. And these are six young, bright women that have reached out to me personally through my networks or through LinkedIn and asked me to mentor them. I take six on each year and we typically meet every four to six weeks. It is a formal, semi-formal process and we discuss everything from their work, their opportunities, their personal development whatever that may be, this is my donating my time to six young women in a space that if I can play it forward for them, let me help. Now, what is really remarkable about these six young women, they've taken that chance and just by off the cuff have done their research, crafted a really clever personal reason why email to me to capture my attention and ask for my time. Now, I'm not putting that out to everyone, but what I'm saying is that women out there is if there's a woman out there that inspires you, do your research, get in front of her, and that could be an email or attending a conference that she's speaking at, and ask her to mentor you. This is a great way to get ahead. And I've got to say, in that sense, is that I'm doing this on the basis that when I was building my career in my 20s and 30s, a lot of the women more senior to me saw young women as competition. Women also saw that there was limited seats at the senior level and they needed to compete with other women to maintain their own seat at the table. So there wasn't a lot of women more senior developing younger women. We were really as peers trying to navigate this unusual space around how do we build our education, our skills and capability ourselves without really being able to have some really strong mentors. While a lot of male mentors are around, there's a new way of how women want to lead differently in this space. So to have that oversight from someone who has perhaps had this experience, maybe the wisdom and the maturity to be able to pass that on, that's really key. So my message is to women is get out there and give it a go. Get on the yoga mat anyway and uh, reach out to those women that you are inspired with. Get in front of them and ask them if they would be kind enough to help mentor you. 
fabulous advice and I truly love the get on the yoga mat because there's nothing like you know giving it a crack to see whether it works or it doesn't and then possibly you know refining your approach to give it another go and then give it another go until you get you know towards the goal because nothing ever you know often it doesn't work first go right so it's important to have that you know confidence in yourself that you know you are giving it a try and uh, should it fail it's not actually a failure it's just another piece of experience that you can you know put under your under your hat and uh, and keep moving towards the direction that you're heading in and what's great about yoga is that no one does yoga everyone practices yoga so it's a constant learning of practice and I've got to say it's a fantastic if I could say is a sporting analogy that also is more relevant to women we often hear a lot of sporting analogies that are all around male sports. This is one that's maybe male and female, so we can all give it a go. Yeah, fabulous. I love yoga. I'm right into it. What, something you mentioned there as well was capturing the, the attention or you know, seeking out those who inspire you and then perhaps you know, sending them a well-crafted email that captures their attention. And this podcast really is about storytelling and maintaining or capturing people's attention and then maintaining it you are a speaker and spend a lot of time on stage what are some of the tips and tricks or things that you've learned over the years when it comes to that exact you know point is how do you grab somebody's attention and then keep it for the duration of the time that you really need them to pay attention right because it's it's an art and a craft but it's also a well-practiced one yeah, so I think there's a few things. There's certainly around intentionality. So set your intentions before you go on stage with a clear view around what you're here to do. Certainly be well prepared. But the energy you bring is the energy you're convey. So the energy you bring on stage and what that looks like, how that presents itself is the energy that the audience is going to pick up on and go with you. So think about where your energy is at, where your focus is at, and bringing more of that to the stage. Um, and while I've done a lot of uh, keynote speaking and particularly around the future of work, bringing in, to your point too, Jules, is stories. Bring them stories about where this is done before, how it's happened, where it failed, what worked well, what didn't. Bring people into that story so they can actually follow along and understand is perhaps some of their fear and anxiety about making change in an organisation is real. Um, perhaps they're more powerful as a leader than they realise and that they can bring a lot of followers with them on this. But there are some incredible stories around the future of work and what organisations are doing to change things up, which is super exciting. But I wanted to share with you a story that I had. I make this story is that last year I was on stage and I've been a deliver keynote and virtually in presence, probably two or three a month. So here I am, we're peak keynote seeking season and I'm on stage uh, here in Dubai and this is a the HR government summit here in Dubai. This is a major summit. It's the largest HR summit in the region. It's by government employees only and this really sets the tone in the UAE, what government does, private practice follows and so if you can imagine, we've got government leaders sitting in throne-style chairs, four of them immediately opposite the stage with what was essentially a room full of about a 1,000 people. I did the session last year and I'm familiar with the environment and having worked 
with the UAE government. I'm familiar with some of these people. So it was exciting and new. I developed a new presentation, which I'd been trialling out a few times. So thrilled to learn it, opening up with a fantastic video with large sound, large pictures ready to roll. I've got to say 10 minutes into the presentation, my presentation goes blank. The tech team have lost my visual. I'm on the middle of stage in front of a 1,000 people and these senior government officials, ministers from each of the areas, looking at me, staring at me bluntly, going, what is she going to do? The visual behind me is completely black. I stop, take a deep breath. I look over to the IT, the support desk, and immediately six of the IT team stand up and rush out the door. They've identified what's gone on. They've gone out behind the black curtain, very Wizard of Oz, to try and fix what's gone on, what's happened. I'm standing on stage going, okay, I get the impression that a thousand eyeballs are looking at me. This is not going to be a quick fix because they're not pressing any buttons. And uh, time for me feels like it's hours when I know it's probably only seconds. So let's use this moment. I'm going to use deliberately use this quiet pause on stage because I've got their attention. Like never before have you seen a well-produced conference where the visual screen has completely gone off. And we're talking about a ballroom size function room. So this is massive. Right. I'm in my element. This is the moment I love. I love when things don't go quite right. I love when we get to see people for who they really are. We get to see the core of the humanity of what happens. Let me see what's going to happen here because it's going to be incredibly exciting. And sure enough, I said, well, surprise. Now we're going to continue on and I'm going to go on and we're going to see how well we progress. And you can hold me to account of how well I know my content. I pause and before you know it, when I started to continue, people stood up and started clapping. Unbelievable. I've never had a conference of all the keynote speaking I do where people actually rise out of their chairs and started clapping. Holy hell, this was momentous. This was incredible. So here I am now drawing it from my memory, going for it, going, okay, I know the stories, I know. And while this, the presentation is only ever a background and it's always, for me, no text, it's always pictures. So I tell the story through a visual behind me, which is full of pictures. But all they had was to me to listen to, and I was going to go for it. I was incredible on stage and loved it. About five or six minutes, which felt like five or six hours later, the presentation popped up. And would you believe it? It popped up at the section of my talk, which was relevant to the presentation, which was six more slides on. And here I am going, there you go, we're all back on track, as slimly as that was. Thank you to the IT team and thank you for your generosity and your kindness in managing me through this. It was a phenomenal experience. We wrapped up on time. I had a series of Q&A. And I've got to say is the amount of emails and messages and people coming up to me in the lunch break saying how phenomenal that was and how they remember it and how professionally well I handled it, they were overwhelmed with. So sometimes it's those moments in our career where things don't go right 
that will leave that memory for people in that presentation to go, wow, we really got to see behind the scenes and that has really sparked our attention and our interest. So the message I want to leave behind that is look for those opportunities and when you know you're confronted with them, take a deep breath and step into the space and go, this is the moment where I can really step up and really show them what my moment is. And I want to leave that message, particularly for leaders, when they're looking at the future of work going, you're stepping into a space that people don't know how to do. You're stepping in and there's been more asked of you than ever, ever before. And this is the opportunity while you have that blank space and perhaps without the presentation behind you, you have that opportunity to really step into an area and really create it in a memorable way that people will be blown away. It's a fabulous story, Kate. Thank you for sharing that. And there's a couple of things that came out of that for me was one is the importance clearly of knowing your stuff and being well prepared. So, the you know, your experience clearly has come through there where you've done it enough times, you know your content, you know the strength. And even if it wasn't, you know, even if it hadn't followed the script entirely, the stories still would have made sense. They still would have gelled with the audience. The fact that the picture was there, you know, almost to some degree was irrelevant. So, the, you know, the importance of preparation, really key. The other part of that story is, and I love, you know, every time I do one of these podcasts, people are telling me bits and pieces of stories and, and not just through this podcast but through speeches and through writing and all sorts of other mediums. What I notice is the best stories and often the stories that people tell are the ones that were particularly painful at a point in time in their lives. And that does two things. One is it shows how human everybody is and allows them to sort of, you know, feel like they're part of that story because maybe they've been in a similar situation. Um, And the other thing is I think, and it comes back to what we were talking about before, how perhaps it drops the facade a little bit. You know, so when it's too polished, when it's too blank-faced and professional, it doesn't it doesn't always resonate because people feel disconnected to that, you know, clean, polished, totally perfect environment. And yet when you tell a, a painful story or something goes wrong in part of your speech or you use that to your advantage, people are drawn closer naturally to it. So I find that people typically will tell more painful stories than they will tell more you know great stories mm. of of mm. Uh, wins along the way mm. yeah and i think that's the value of our own personal growth and development isn't it Absolutely. Um, yeah so i've you know enjoyed this conversation and i could talk for hours on on these topics but i do want to ask you one more question if i may if somebody was to offer you a million dollars and they were going to you know offer it to your favorite charity of choice and they wanted to pick your brain but you only had a few minutes to impart your wisdom what might that sound like it would certainly be around think about the legacy think about your legacy and make every conversation every decision every interaction you have based on the legacy that you want to leave behind. And that will leave memories in people's minds of your your integrity, 
your uh, your energy, your passion or your enthusiasm and your purpose. Make that the decision. That is a beautiful response, Kate. Thank you. For all those people listening, how can people find out a little bit more about you, Kate? So you can go to my website, www.kategbarker.com or you can find me on LinkedIn, Kate Barker. And by all means, reach out, ask me any questions. I'm keen to see what you come up with. Kate, thank you so much. appreciate your time. Thanks, Jules. Always a pleasure. What a breath of fresh air Kate is, and I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I learned through that conversation with Kate that communication and keeping people's attentions, not just about speaking on stage, but it's everything that surrounds you and everything that surrounds an organisation, be that the leadership team, be that the employees, be that the guidance, the mentorship. It's all about good communication. And if you can master the art of communicating well and individualise it where it's needed, I think the whole world, and particularly the corporate world, could become a whole lot better. Much love. Chat soon.